it's wonderful to be here again today, and I have enjoyed all this good preaching. I'm going to let you sit down in a minute when we read, and we're going to read from Luke chapter 15 for a moment, and uh, I do want to say this, I'm going to be with uh, Brother Bailey in uh, over Thanksgiving, and I'm looking forward to my new shoes. Amen. I love Brother Bailey, and I I love Brother Ouellette, and I love Brother Ouellette's daddy, and uh, he's a great man of God, and uh, loved souls, and was a great help to me, and an encouragement to me, and one of my heroes, and then uh, I, like, I also like Brother Ouellette's haircut, amen. I want to say thank you, for Pastor, for allowing me to be here. And uh, I don't know what I'm doing here in this kind of preaching, but I'm glad to be here. And the Lord has helped my heart already in these days. I go to church nearly every day in my life, and somebody asked me one time, said, why do you go to church so much? I said, well, I go because I'm supposed to. That's what the Bible tells me. I go because I like to, but mostly I go because I need help. I get help down the house of God. I went to Tennessee for the first time, and the preacher said, get some help. Get some help down at the house of God. And then a little old lady from North Carolina said, I got holpened down at the house of God. Whatever you want to call it, you can get some down the house of God from the preacher of the word of God. I'm going to preach or read to you and preach just a little bit for a few minutes from another one of these very familiar passages. I, I call these sermons fresh paths in familiar places. Sometimes there's a place you've walked over a long time, but you see something and it sends you in just a little different direction. And uh, some of these passages I've read and preached on, and then I read something in a book or I heard a preacher preach and it just sent me down a little different road. And uh, I probably won't tell you, in fact, I'm sure I won't tell you anything you don't know, but I might remind you of a thing or two here in this passage. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now, if you don't get that verse, you won't know what any of the rest of this is talking about. Because everything Jesus is about to say is in response to what they just said. They're making an accusation against him. If you're a man of God, if if you're a prophet, if you're who you say you are, you wouldn't have anything to do with these sinners. And unfortunately, that spirit of Phariseeism has permeated the church where we shouldn't have anything to do with lost people. But the truth of the matter is, that's what we're left here for, that we might win lost people unto God, as we just heard, tell them the story of Jesus. So Jesus is going to answer this accusation. And here's what he said. It's in the form of three parables. I'll not read all of it. But in verse 3, And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when it spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and the son said unto him father I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son but the father said to his servants bring forth the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry and I'm going to read one more verse now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. We'll stop there and pray a moment. Father, we love you today because you first loved us. We are thankful, Lord, for what our hearts have felt, what our ears have heard today. Thank you for the good men of God since this morning and on yesterday that have been faithful to preach the word of God in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, we just want to thank you that we had the privilege to be here and hear what we've heard and the privilege, Lord, to be moved in our souls and in our spirits under the preaching of the word of God. Lord, I thank you for every singer that's sung. I thank you for everybody that's worked in the kitchen. I thank you for everybody that's planned. I thank you, Lord, for the kindness of your people toward his servants. And Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I'm glad I know him, and I'm glad he knows me. I pray you'll help me now to say what I have to say and sit down and glorify you, Lord. And if you get glorified, then we'll be helped. Thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
Thank you. You can be seated. I want to preach a little while this afternoon on the love of Christ for sinners. The love of God for sinners. Somebody said, preacher, I wish you'd preach me some deep truth. The deepest truth I ever heard, I heard as a little boy in Sunday school. When my Sunday school teacher taught me this little song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You can't get any deeper in truth, friend, than the fact that God loves sinners and gave his only begotten son that sinners might be saved. We've heard about it today. Thank God for the love of God for sinners. Now I've mentioned to you that these parables are in response to what the Pharisees had to say. Now we didn't really get into the Pharisees in our text. If we'd have read on about that other boy that stayed home, he was certainly the Pharisee or a picture of the Pharisees. I don't know if they understood it, but he was talking about them when he talked about that brother that was angry. But I'm not so much interested in him today as I am the love of God that is manifested in these three parables. And what I'm going to do for just a moment or two is I want to look at these three parables together and I want to look at them from three different viewpoints. I want to talk to you about the ledger and the lost. I want to talk to you about the lovers and the lost and I want to talk to you about the Lord and the lost or I might put it this way I want to look at this passage from the view of, a, of an accountant and I want to look at this passage from the view of the affectionate and I want to look at this passage from the view of the almighty now I want you to notice in this in these three parables that there are numbers I've never been good at numbers I was never good at math uh, I Sometimes my family will travel with me and they sing and my both of my daughters have written books and, uh, I, and I've, I just celebrated 40 years in the ministry and my family went ahead and transcribed a bunch of sermons and wrote a book for me of my 10 sermons. I said in 40 years you can only find 10 worth putting in a book uh, but they did find 10 and transcribed them and I tell you that to tell you this, uh, always Rachel, my oldest daughter, was always the person that stood at the table and somebody, because she's a talker, she's a social butterfly she loves to talk to people, so she'd stand at the table and take money if they bought books. And then my younger daughter, she's not as sociable as, uh, as Rachel, but she would do a good job. And then my wife, but now, after my father-in-law died, my, my, my wife and my daughter spend a lot of time with my mother-in-law taking care of her, and I'm on my own. And so most of the time, I don't even set the books out, and I'll tell you why. I'm so bad at math, I set those books out, everything's $15, it don't matter or what it is, it's all $15. But I'm so bad at math, people come up and hand me a wad of money and I can't figure out what change to give them. I had a lady one time, she wanted to buy some CDs and she gave me a bunch of money. She had some formula and she said, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at her like a deer looking in the headlights and finally she said, well, this is how much you owe me. And I gave it to her. I don't know if she cheated me or I cheated her. I'm not good with numbers. I just never have been good at mathematics. But I have a son-in-law who works well 
up until a little while ago he worked at an accounting firm I think pretty quick he's going to be the pastor of the church where they go uh, the pastor's been grooming him to do that but anyway he knows about numbers he's an accountant accountants are always interested in the numerical values uh, that are involved in something and they have a ledger and they'll put in the ledger well we gained this much or we lost this much and so I'm looking at these three parables and I read a fellow in a book mentioned something about the percentages that we find in these parables I want you to notice it in the first one the Bible said what man of you having an hundred sheep he's got a hundred of them if he lose one of them just one doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it so here's a man who has one hundred sheep he, he, that's what he owns that's what he has in his possession and one day one of them wanders away now I'm going to ask you this I, I think I've got this right if you have a hundred and you lose one you lost one percent is that right you still have 99% of the flock left. Is that correct? So I'm thinking about how an accountant would look at this. You take it, show him the ledger. He writes down, well, we got 100, we've lost one. Not too bad. We can live with the loss of 1%. We're not going to go under. We're not going to go bankrupt. We're not going to lose everything. As a matter of fact, just one sheep, just 1%, we can make that up in the next lambing season. We can make that up, no problem. So he lost 1%. Then notice something else. It tells us then in the second parable, there's a woman having 10 pieces of silver and she loses one. Now, am I correct that one out of 10 is 10%? Did I get that right? I'm doing good so far. So you get the accountant down. He marks it down. We had 10 when we started. We lost one. We, we still have we still have 90%. We've only lost 10%. That's not too bad. We can keep going. We'd stay afloat on 90%. Not a big deal. Then we get to the third parable. Now we have a man who has two sons. And he loses one son. Now am I correct? We are now at 50% loss. Now that's bad. That's worse than 1%. That's worse than 10%. But if an accountant is looking at this, he might say, you know, we still have 50% left. We can get by with 50%. We haven't lost everything. We still have 50%. I think we can get by. You see, when an accountant writes down in his ledger, everything's just a mark. Everything's just a number. There's no affection. There's no love. There's no care. It doesn't mean much to him. It's just figures on the paper. It's, uh, the records must be kept. The adjustments must be made. It's all very mechanical. And it's all very calculated. Sometimes a preacher will get up. He'll say there are this many people in the world. And this many of them have heard about Christ and this many of them haven't. But when he tells you, it sounds like numbers in a ledger. He sounds as though he's just keeping a record, calculating, making adjustments. Sometimes I'm afraid we look at a lost world from the accountant's viewpoint. 
there are so few of us and so many of them. Are you listening now? There are so few that are saved and so many that are lost. And we look at it as though it's a record book, as though they are marks on a ledger, and it's calculated, and it's mechanical, and there's no love, and there's no burden, and there's no brokenness in our hearts. I don't want to look at a lost world from the accountant's viewpoint. I don't want to look at those who live in my neighborhood and those that are in my family that don't know Christ. I don't want to look at them like an accountant. I don't want to just add and subtract and write down numbers in a book. I don't want to be cold and hard and calculated. I don't want to conclude that somehow I can get by even if the numbers are not good. So we have the accountant's view. It's the ledger and the lost. But let's look at another view. Not only the view of the accountant, but the view of the affectionate. Because there are some people in these passages who love what is lost. There is a, there is a shepherd who's lost a sheep. There is a woman who has lost her silver. There is a father who has lost his son. And I guarantee you not one of them counts them like a mark on a paper or a number in a ledger. Not one of them looks at it in a cold and calculated manner because they are looking from the vantage point of love and the vantage point of affection. Here is the shepherd. He has lost one. He has 99 sheep left. Only 1%. But I want you to notice the value of this one that is lost to the shepherd. I was looking at this passage and I thought about this shepherd. I thought about the pursuit that he will take on to find this one lost sheep. He's not going to say, the accountant may say, it's only one and it doesn't make a difference. But the shepherd will never say, it's just one and it doesn't make a difference. The shepherd loves the sheep. I remember Hallelujah, I remember over there in the book of Amos, I'm just thinking about when he said the shepherd would go out and the, and the lion had got a hold of the sheep and he went out and all he found was two legs and an ear, but he picked it up and brought it back. There wasn't much left of that sheep, but it was his sheep and he wanted whatever's left of it. I tell you, a lot of times sinners, there ain't much left of them, but God loves them anyway. There wasn't much left of when I was lost but God picked up what was left I was important to him what about this shepherd well I want you to notice the detachment in his pursuit watch what it said in verse 4 what man of you having a hundred sheep if he lose one of them watch it now doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness now this word wilderness when we read it, we immediately think of a barren desert place. But the shepherds would take their sheep out into a place that was not desert, it was not barren, but it was deserted. And they would call it the wilderness. And they'd take those shepherds out there and find those sheep and find good pasture for them. 
So what's saying here is not that the shepherd just let the rest of the sheep go. He left them in a place where they had what they needed, where they were cared. Oh, can I throw this in? It's not in the sermon. But David had a little flock that belonged to his daddy. And his daddy sent him on work. And you remember what it said? He said he left those sheep with a, he left those sheep with a keeper. If you look, at, look up and study about that, it was somebody that cared about the sheep like David did. That's what Jesus has done with you and I. He left us with a keeper. Somebody who loves the, he's called the Holy Ghost. He loves us like the shepherd loves us. It would have been more comfortable. It would have been more comfortable for the shepherd to stay there. He had a place that was good. He had a place where the rest of his sheep were. There was fellowship there. But he, he could not enjoy that comfort. He could not enjoy that fellowship. He could not enjoy those surroundings because there was a sheep lost out in the out wandering somewhere. I thought about the Lord Jesus. He was at home in heaven in fellowship with his father in surroundings that were good for him. But he could not stay there because there was a sheep lost he was wandering away his name was Brian McBride he said I can't stay here I'll have to leave here I'll have to pursue that sheep notice the danger in his pursuit Matthew says this Matthew said how think ye if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray. Now we find out where that, where that sheep has wandered to. He's wandered in the mountains. He's wandered into a place where there's danger on the trail. There's danger because of the rocks and the cliffs in the mountains. There's danger from the weather. There's danger from wild beasts. There's danger from robbers who hide in those places from the authorities. But that shepherd thinks about that sheep up there and said it may be dangerous. The weather may be bad. The rocks may be treacherous. The wild animals may be, may be out hunting and predators there. But it doesn't matter. I got a sheep there he's wandered away I can't leave him out there I'll put my own self in danger I'll be willing to risk my own life to find that sheep that's just what Jesus did for me and for you he said doesn't matter what danger lies before me I'm coming after my sheep then notice the duration of his pursuit I like this little phrase what man of you having a hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness to go after that which is lost? Watch it now. Until he find it. Until he ain't giving up till he finds out what happened to that sheep. He not giving up till he finds where that sheep is. He not giving up till he lays hands on that sheep one way or another. He's not giving up. Now don't get nervous. I'm not a Calvinist nor the son of the Calvinist. I just know Jesus didn't give up when the going got hard. Uh, he didn't quit uh, because it was difficult. He was going to finish the job. I'm glad he finished the job in my soul and in my heart. Thank God he didn't quit. Why did the shepherd do that? Because he wasn't looking at it from an accountant's point of view. He was looking at it from an affectionate point of view. He was the shepherd who loved the sheep. Then there is the woman. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver. Here's, here's a woman. We've seen the value of the sheep to the shepherd. What about the value of the silver to the woman? 
Now the Bible says she had, I think this wording is, is interesting. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver. If she lose one piece, doth not light a candle. Sweep the house, seek diligence until she find it. When she found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. I do not believe uh, this afternoon, I do not believe that it's talking about her, her nest egg. I don't believe it's talking about what she has, uh, what she has added up and collected over the years. I don't think it's talking about these ten pieces of silver. I don't think it's talking about uh, something she's planning on spending or giving away. I don't think so. I think it's talking about the band that she wore either around her head or around her neck. And in that band were twelve silver coins, twelve pieces of silver. It had something to do with her dowry. And what it meant was the same thing that your wedding band means on your finger when she would go out in public and wear that band, that band around her head with those ten pieces of silver or around her neck in that necklace it was a, it was a statement to, to the community about her relationship with her husband she was going out there when she would wear that she might as well wore a headband or a necklace that said I love my husband I'm glad I got married I'm in love with him it was a statement of how much she had adored and valued the husband and the relationship that they had so one day she gets up to go out and she does this and there's one missing now remember it's a statement about her relationship with her husband what she thinks of him how he loves her and how she loves him she ain't going nowhere because she's in love with her husband and she don't want anybody to question it or have a doubt about it. She's not going anywhere without she finds that piece of silver and puts it back and repairs that band that she's wearing. You know what her problem is? You know why she's so, uh, so excited and so interested about this silver? Because she's in love. She's looking at it from affection's point of view. It re- it's not that she's in love with money. She's in love with the one that piece of money represents. Uh, and so uh, she will find it. I want you to notice three things about her affection and her pursuit there is also detachment in her pursuit because the Bible said uh, she'll light a candle and sweep the house now she's got friends no doubt outside the house she's got duties that need to be carried on outside the house she may have to go to the market and buy what's needed she may need to go here or go there but she's not leaving the house she's not going to fellowship she's not going to put the duties of life above the love that she has for her husband she ain't leaving in the house till she finds that piece of silver. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. I don't think it was D.L. Moody. It might have been the man that won D.L. Moody to the Lord uh, that was a shoemaker and they said to him one day, you ought to, he was preaching, they said, you ought to, you ought to spend more time on your business uh, uh, and less time with your preaching. He said, preaching is my business. Winning souls of God is my business. And so she will detach herself from the normal things of life uh, in order to find that lost piece of silver. I'm going to tell you, if you love souls, if you love souls, you'll be willing to be detached from the other things in life in order to put souls first because you love Jesus. There is the damage in her pursuit. 
Watch what it said. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece. Here, now notice this. Doth not light a candle. Now, we're in a, we're in a hut here, a little house. I don't know what kind of house. Maybe made of bricks. I don't know. There weren't a lot of windows in the house in that day, and there were no electric lights. You could not flick the switch. If you wanted to find something, you had to find a candle and you had to light it. I don't know how long it took her to find this piece of silver. But if she lights a candle, if she lights that candle and it's burning all the time that she's looking, it's going to cost her something to find this piece of silver. It's going to cost her at least one candle. It may cost her more than that. Uh, those things were not, they were not cheap in those days. And so she's going to find her a candle. She's going to light the candle. She's going to burn the wick down. She's going to burn the wax down. She may go through a whole candle. I don't know how long it took her, but what I want you to see is it cost her something to find that piece of silver. She had to spend something to buy that piece of silver. If you love souls, it won't bother you to spend a little something. It won't bother you if it costs you something to win them because you love more. See, she loved the silver more than the candle. Then the Bible said, sweep the house. That's going to take some work. I was reading the other day and a fellow was talking about the floor of a house in that day. They didn't have linoleum. In that day, just a normal house might have had a dirt floor. Might have had reeds strung across that floor, put across there for your feet to walk on. You think about a little silver coin has fallen down in there. It could be inside of one of those reeds. It could be underneath them. It could be down in the dirt. She's having to sweep up, sift out that dirt. She's going to, I see her on her hands and knees crawling around with that lamp, with that uh, candle that she's lit. She's trying to find that silver. Uh, she doesn't care what it looks like, what she looks like. Doesn't care whatever, whatever damage it might do to her. Doesn't care about whatever effort has to be exerted. Uh, she loves that piece of silver. She loves her husband more than she's worried about what it'll cost her, more than it's sure it's worried about what it'll harm her or any of those things. She's after that piece of silver. If you look at a soul from the affection, the standpoint of affection, it'll be worth whatever it costs to find a soul. And once again, the duration of her pursuit. Seek diligently till she find it I love my husband too much to give on, up on this search she says like the shepherds would say I love the sheep too much to give up on this search I'm just trying to say to you these are lessons on love an affectionate point of view now there's another parable this parable is interesting I, I believe and I wouldn't fuss with you about this but the first parable, I believe, represents the Lord Jesus and the second, the Holy Spirit and the third, the Father, all of the offices involved in the, in the salvation of a soul. And in the first two, we have, I think, really heaven's activity toward the saving of a soul. And we have that in a measure in the third one. But more so in the third one, we have the response of that soul to heaven's activity. We see, we, see I, listen to me now, I believe that God is sovereign, but I believe I'm also responsible. 
I believe that Jesus died on the cross, but I don't believe God forces any man to be saved. I believe Jesus tastes, listen to me, I believe he tasted death for every man. I believe this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. I believe that when the Bible said uh, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, I believe I have a sovereign God and I believe he's sovereign enough to give me a responsibility and a free will and he presents me with the opportunity and I must say yay or nay. So we see the responsibility of the sinner in this passage. But I want us to think about the father a moment because if you're an accountant and you're looking at two boys and you just mark it down 50%, we still have 50 left, I guarantee you daddy ain't gonna look at it that way. Daddy's not going to look at it and say, well, I had two. I got one left. I can get by with one. Daddy's not going to say that. No, Daddy's going to say, I want both them boys. I don't want to give up either one of them boys. And I'm looking at the Father's love, and I'm thinking about this. When I look at that, the Bible said he divided unto them his living. He is willing to live without his wealth, but he's not willing to live without them boys. He wants those boys. And you say, well, preacher, he didn't go down to the hog pen. No, he didn't. But I want you you to be reminded now of his attitude toward this boy. I want you to see first of all his watchfulness. The Bible said when he was a great way off in verse 20 he arose and came to his father but when he was yet a great way off. Now you're not going to see something a great way off unless you're looking for it. You don't see something a great way off just by accident. So I see that father get up every day. He'd get up every day and look down that long road and say I wish my son would come home today. I hope my boy would come back today. I can see his heart broken. He's watchful over that boy. There is watchfulness. And then there's tenderness. The Bible said he had compassion. He didn't fold his arms when he saw that boy and say, I don't know what you think you're doing coming back here after the way you did me. You think about what that boy did. He as much as said to his father when he took the goods and left for the far country, he as much as said to his father, I want what you have, but I don't want you. I want what you own, but I don't want you. He as much as said that. It looked like that daddy'd fold his arms and say, I don't know who you think you are coming back here. I don't know what kind of person you are to think I'd have anything to do with you. That ain't what the Bible said. The Bible said he had compassion. He loved that boy. And then notice his eagerness. He ran. It was a shameful thing for a Jewish man to run out in public. But when he saw that boy. He didn't care what anybody thought. He girded up his loins and went on a sprint to, to get to that boy. And then notice his, his uh, notice also in his tenderness, the Bible said he kissed him. Now I don't know much about Greek and Hebrew and uh, but I, I know how to use a Strong's concordance and I looked up Mr. Strong and he said this word kissed is in the perfect tense. So I looked up what perfect tense meant. And it meant a continuous, I knew what continuous meant, a continuous action. So it occurs to me the kiss was not this. It was this. It's like when you went to your great aunt's house 
and she grabbed you by the chin and said, I'm going to kiss you all over your face. That's what's going on here. That boy's laid down on the ground submitting himself to his father and the father falls down on him and goes to kissing and kissing and kissing and kissing. I, I, I see the boy trying to push the boy and say, Daddy, Daddy, will you stop kissing me? I want to tell you where I've been. i got to tell you what I've done. Will you stop? But the daddy don't care where he's been and the daddy don't care what he's done. All daddy cares is that he came home you say preacher I don't know exactly what to do about getting saved let me help you just come home to Jesus just come home if you'll come home that'll satisfy God and then there was readiness he killed the fatted calf if you, if you look up this word about killed it's the picture of sacrifice this is not a calf they were fattening up just for a feast this is a calf they were prepared for because when a boy come home and he'd been guilty and ungodly, there had to be a sacrifice before he could cross the threshold into the house. And so they've been, they've been, that daddy's been fattening up this calf. He'd been watching over him to make sure that he's fit for sacrifice because he's expecting that boy to come home one day and when he does, they're going to kill that fatted calf. They're going to sacrifice him. It's a picture of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the sacrificial calf here. And so in all of this passage, we see how the father has affection for this boy. I was reading it one day and I thought of this. The father remained. The boy remembered. And the two got reconciled. Can I throw this in? It's a parenthetic expression. I won't charge you any extra for it. You say, preacher, I got a prodigal. What do I do? Just stay where you're at and do what you've been doing so that one day when he comes to himself, he'll know where you are. You see, God never changed when I was lost in sin. And when I came to myself, I knew where to go to find God. You just stay where you're at. Now, here's one last thing. There's the view of the accountant. The view of the affectionate. And there's the view of the almighty. It won't take me just a moment. I'm looking at the Lord and the lost. And here's, here's what I'm thinking. How can you tell how much somebody misses something or someone? How can you tell? How could you tell how much somebody missed something that was lost or someone that was lost. They might, they might never say to you how much they miss it. You might never be able to discern anything in their life about how much they miss it. But if that which is lost ever gets found, their reaction to the finding will tell you how much they missed when it was lost. So what is the reaction? in the finding well in verse number 6 and when he cometh home he calleth together his friends and neighbors saying unto them rejoice with me for I found my sheep which was lost I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth 
More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. You say, preacher, how much does God enjoy it when a sinner comes home? How did, much did he miss them? How much did he long after them? He calls all of heaven. Now, I'm thinking about this. I wouldn't fuss with you about this, but he said, in the presence of the angels. Let me go back and read it again. He said, uh, like was I was saying, in this passage, joy in heaven. So in heaven, there's joy in heaven. So it's as though God said, okay, this one's been lost. Now he's found. I want the whole crowd, everybody up here from one end of heaven to the other end of heaven. I want to hear some shouting. I want to see some rejoicing. God has them rejoicing in heaven, in heaven because of that one sinner that's come home. Then in the second parable, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels. Now I've tried to think about this, the presence of the angels. And I thought, who are we sure is in the presence of the angels? God is in the presence of the angels. God not only says to all of heaven from one end to the other, we're going to rejoice over this. But then he said, I believe I'll just rejoice with you. I believe I'll just shout with you. I believe I'll just carry on a little bit with you. Because that which is lost, hey, when you got saved all of heaven rejoiced and God on his throne rejoiced I'm telling you that was shouting in heaven that was glory in heaven when a sinner gets saved but what about that last parable I read verse 25 for a reason now his elder son was in the field and as he came nigh and it came and drew nigh to the house there was a calling for joy in heaven when the lost was found. There's a calling for joy among the hosts when the lost is found. But there was a command to rejoice in the house when the lost were found. You know where we are right now? We're in the house. We're in the house. We're in, we call it, I understand I'm the church, I know all that. But we're, we're, God said my house shall be called a house of prayer. So if God called that place of worship his house, I guess it'd be okay for me to call this his house. And you know what the command is? It's not just a calling. Uh, listen now, in that first one, he called for his friends. And in the second one, she called for his friends. But in the third one, the Bible said this. He said, bring, forth the, uh, bring hither the fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He didn't call for them he told them we're going to eat and we're going to be merry we're going to feast I'm going to tell you friend when a sinner gets saved the people in the house of God ought not sit like a bump on a log that love sinners like God loves sinners the most exciting thing that ever happened ought to ever happen around the house of God is when a sinner comes home it ought to fill you with glory and joy there ought to be rejoicing it ought to remind you when you got saved Now let me say this and I'm done. There was 50%. There was 10%. There was 1%. But even though it was 50%, 10%, and 1%, it was always one. One out of 100. One out of 10. One out of two. Do you know it's always one with God? It's always one on one with God. It's always you and Him. You are important to Him. He loves you. Paul put it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Yet nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ which liveth in me in the life that I now live. In the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. 
and gave himself for me. You say, preacher, what's this thing about salvation? What's it all about? It's about him and you. It's about him wanting you. You say, well, I know he wanted so-and-so, and, -so and I, I'm sure he wanted this one, and so-and-so's and good, and, and I'm, I'm sure. No, 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 no. He wants you. It doesn't matter what you're like. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what your background is or who your daddy was. Doesn't matter. God wants you. His affection is for you. He is set upon you. He loves you. And I can say this afternoon without, without apology and without fear of being wrong, Jesus died for you on the cross of Calvary and God's interested in you and he loves you and he wants you to be saved and he misses you because you're gone and he wants you to come home and if you'll come home he'll rejoice over your returning because he loves you he loves you <laughs> hallelujah he loves you I'm glad he loves me amen I'm done preacher let's stand a moment our heads are bowed